0: Today, we're continuing on with our sermon series, Questions for God. This has been a fun series for us to do, largely because it originated with questions that you submitted. We'd asked you to send us your questions of faith that you struggled with the most. Now, throughout the series, we've talked about that this isn't intended to give you the right answer, but rather to spur you on in your own research and study and prayer life. We want you to go from these sermons and have discussions about your own beliefs. We've discussed some of the questions that you've submitted from uh, why do bad things happen? And what is heaven like? What is God's will? And does God love unconditionally? Today, we want to look at the question, can science and scripture coexist? Now, I know for some people, it seems that those two subjects are at odds with one another. But scientific studies and theology are not at opposite ends of the same spectrum. They're two different fields of study. It'd be like asking the question, can science and poetry coexist? Can science and music coexist? They don't prove or disprove the other. I have here my grandfather's high school math book. It's entitled, Plain and Solid Geometry. They had a real catchy title for it. It's from 1921, and I miss my grandfather terribly. Uh, He died several years ago, and so I was excited to receive this book after he had passed away because I felt sort of a connection to him. His writing is throughout this book, and his handwriting is very familiar to me. I saw it several times when I was growing up. My grandfather loved Cincinnati Reds baseball. Now, if he wasn't at Riverfront Stadium, where they played in those days, he was listening to the games on the radio or watching them on TV. And with every game, he had a baseball scoring pad, And he was taking notes on every single play of every single game. And so I know how my grandfather made his letters and numerals, and they're very familiar to me. And when I got this book, I scoured through it cover to cover from his signature, writing his name on the front cover, to where he took class notes on the back cover and all in between where he wrote and worked on several different math problems. I think I was hoping to find some connection with him, some of his deeper thoughts, some way that I could learn more about my grandfather. And to tell you the truth, it's not in here. This is a math book and that's all I find in here. I don't discover any new insight to my grandfather's personality He was a high school math student just trying to get through geometry. Now, I wish that this was his Bible. I would have loved that. I would have loved to have my grandfather's thoughts on Scripture in the margins or questions that he wrestled with, questions he had for God. But this is a math book. And just like I won't be able to find my grandfather's inner thoughts in a math book from high school We aren't going to find some of the scientific explanations of how the world works in Scripture. That's not what it's designed for. Now, it's not to say that there isn't any science in the Bible. Of course there is. But it's just to say that the purpose of the Bible isn't to teach the the deep intricacies of science or the complex workings of the world. There's a different message there for us. Now, this morning's scripture passage is the beginning of the creation story. And there's probably no other story in the Bible that ignites the science versus the Bible argument like the creation story does. But have you ever stopped to think about why it's in there in the first place? What's the point of Genesis? Why would God tell us the story? Is it really to give us a detailed scientific explanation of the creation of the universe? Or could there be a different reason for this passage? I think it's the birth story of our world. It's our birth story. Now, if you tell a child about their birth story, there are a couple ways that you can approach it. You can approach it from a scientific vantage point and tell them from the conception all the way through the medical details of their hospital delivery. Or you can tell them their birth story from an aspect of their family relationship. How two parents fell in love and wanted to expand their family with a child When I talk about my children's birth stories with them, I always talk about it from the aspect of the family relationship. Our daughter Hannah was born into our family through adoption. And so I tell her her story of when I went down to the birth mother's uh, hospital room. And I entered into the room and she has tears streaming down her face as she hands me my daughter. Now, Her medical story is important, too. That's how she came into being. But for me, I want to emphasize uh, the birth story that talks about Hannah's family relationship with us. When it comes to my son, Brooks, I guarantee you he does not want the medical details of my (laughs) C-section. And so I tell him about when he was born, he was loved from the very beginning and how his big sister, Hannah, Uh, prayed for him before he was ever born. Now, it's not to say that his scientific medical birth story isn't important. For him, especially so. He had developed complications, and the C-section and the medical staff saved his life. And so, of course, that explanation is critically important. But what I want to emphasize with him is the family relationship. Throughout scripture, beginning with the creation story and going through the entire Bible, are numerous accounts that God is telling us our story. And more often than not, God is telling us through a vantage point of our family relationship, our relationship to one another and our relationship with God. We don't have to be frightened of science. We can embrace it because it's another aspect of God's created world. And I think there are three things that we can discuss this morning that can help us live that in life and enjoy it to the fullest. First is that we do not need to fear knowledge or learning. Hildegard was one of the saints of the early church. She was born around the year 1100. And it was obvious from the very beginning that she was an exceptional child. She was very gifted intellectually and spiritually. She was the youngest of 10 children, and her parents dedicated her to God. And so at the age of 14, she entered into the convent and began her journey to become a nun. Now, right from the beginning, she stood out. She had a very deep and profound relationship with God. And many times in her prayers, she would see visions or hear messages it was because of that very close relationship with God that she developed a desire to study other areas. She started studying math and science and, and anatomy. She started producing literature on the illnesses of the human body and ways to treat them. In fact, she would have been one of the first women in history to practice medicine Now, for Hildegard, she never saw any problem with being a woman of science and a woman of faith. She didn't see them in conflict. She saw that as she studied all things, it just continually revealed more and more of the God of all creation. We can continue to study and research things out in the world. In this passage of scripture of the creation story, it is our story And God is reminding us that God desired us and designed us. And God created the world with intentionality. Now, we can accept that in our relationship with God and have faith in those statements. But it also ought to spur us on to have a curiosity about the world around us to pursue more. Sometimes in life, Christians have become uncomfortable with scientific discoveries, fearing that they may disprove something about Scripture or about their relationship with God. And there have been numerous times throughout history where the church and the leaders of the church have sought to persecute scientific thought. Now, what we believe about science, that doesn't change the reality of God. You know, Copernicus was alive during the time of the Great Reformation. And in his scientific studies, he realized that the earth rotates around the sun. Now, many in the church taught that the earth was the center of the universe and that the sun rotated around the earth. But Copernicus realized through his studies and his mathematical formulas that it was the opposite. But he was living in the time of the Reformation And he understood the the church politics and the government politics and quite wisely decided to not make a big deal of his research. And he kind of held it close to the chest. It really wasn't widely known until after his death. After his death, Galileo came along. And he furthered the work of Copernicus teaching everywhere that, of course, the earth rotated around the sun. Now, you might be surprised to know that there were many in the church that agreed with that. They believed in that because they were people of science as well. But there were some in the academic field that were jealous. And so they encouraged church leaders to see Galileo as a threat. They accused him of being an atheist, even though he was a devout believer. And so they sought charges after him. One of the leaders in the church at that time, in charging Galileo, said that geometry is of the devil. Now, when I was taking high school geometry, and many high school students I know would probably agree with that statement, but the charges that were brought against Galileo led to his house arrest for the rest of his life. But I love the quote that he made. He said, I do not believe that the same God who has endowed us with sense reason, and intellect, has intended us to forego their use. While scientific discoveries have at times threatened us, they have not been a threat to God. While we have been sometimes fearful of science, it has not brought fear to God. And during the time that we thought that the sun rotated around the earth, and then Realize that actually the earth rotates around the sun. God was God throughout all of that. During our denial and our discovery of the truth, it doesn't change the truth of God. Second, it's important that we not let knowledge get in the way of our belief. If any of you have taken a physics or an organic chemistry course, you know that they were not intended to feed your soul, but rather to fill your mind. You can know everything about science and, and physics and math, and yet it doesn't take the place of spirituality. We need both of those things. Our souls hunger for them. And we shouldn't be afraid or threatened by that. We can embrace them both. I've been reading the book, Language of God. It's written by Francis Collins, who currently is the director of the National Institutes of Health. He was appointed to that position by President Obama. Prior to that, he served for 15 years as the director of the National Human Genome Research Institute. And the culmination of their research project was a map of the human genome. And it, it garnered the attention of the world because it's one of the largest scientific discoveries in all these years. President Clinton, former President Clinton, announced this. And when he did, Francis Collins was standing right beside him. He had worked with the president's speechwriter, and he helped him to develop the speech in which he said... Today we are learning the language in which God created life. We are gaining ever more awe for the complexity, the beauty, and the wonder of God's most divine and sacred gift. Now, in the book, The Language of God, Collins talks about his journey to faith. He was born to two wonderful parents, and yet their family only had a nominal connection to church— As Francis continued to uh, grow in school, he obviously showed these wonderful gifts in math and science. And as he continued to grow older and think about such things, he realized that he was agnostic. He didn't care about God. He didn't care about learning about God. He continued in his studies in quantum mechanics, in physics, in math, in medicine. And after several years, he actually discovered he was, in fact, an atheist He did not believe in God. He was a rational thinking person and realized that really religion is only for simple minded people. He took great pride in his atheism and he loved to uh, discount the religious beliefs of others. Well, he obtained his bachelor's degree in chemistry. He went on to Yale to get his Ph.D. in physical chemistry. And then he went on to medical school at the University of North Carolina. Now, he didn't want to become a practicing physician. He wanted to go into research in human genetics. But as part of the medical school curriculum, he had to do clinical rounds. And as he was doing his rounds, seeing his patients, he came face to face with their faith. And over and over again, he would hear their prayers And he was impressed with their devotion. Now, he was at odds with some of his own thoughts because he had always thought that religion was basically a crutch that people would lean on. And he couldn't understand if if that was the case, why were they not abandoning their faith when they didn't get better? If they continued to suffer, what good was their faith to them? And in the midst of kind of struggling with that, he encountered this one patient who asked him to directly, do you believe in God? Now, this was a woman that he had grown quite fond of. He had been taking care of her for quite some time now. She was elderly and she had been very open about her faith. But on this occasion, she asked him, do you believe in God? And he didn't know how to answer that question. And the fact that he didn't know how to answer it was what bothered him the most. He went home wondering, well, why didn't I just tell her I'm an atheist? I can prove that there's no existence of God. But he kept wrestling with it. Why couldn't he have not done that? And so he started to realize that throughout the history of mankind, if there is a God, there's probably no other uh, more profound question than does God exist? And as a scientist, he had never taken the time to answer that question for himself. And so he set out, like a scientist, trying to research that question. He started researching other world religions, and he went through them and read lots of books, but he remembered that there was a Methodist minister who lived down the road. And so he made an appointment with him, and he started to ask him all these questions that he had. He said that, by and large, they All were questions that dealt with, how can a rational person believe in God? And over and over, this pastor talked with him and discussed these matters. And finally, he stood up and went over to his bookshelf and pulled a book off the shelf and gave it to him. And it was the book, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and he encouraged him to read it. Well, Collins took the book home, and as he started reading this book, it was like all of his arguments against Christianity were laid out in front of him. He he said that it was like C.S. Lewis was reading his mind. Well, he discovered that C.S. Lewis was a scholar at Oxford, and he had been an atheist who set out to disprove God and found the opposite and became a devout believer And so all of the the questions and arguments that Collins brought to the table were being addressed by this former atheist in C.S. Lewis. And he realized and came to the point that he could be a thinking, rational scientist who believed in God. Now, one of the things I love in his book, The Language of God, was where he describes and talks about the creation story. He says... Despite 25 centuries of debate, it is fair to say that no human knows what the meaning of Genesis 1 and 2 was precisely intended to be, and we should continue to explore that. But the idea that scientific revelations would represent an enemy in that pursuit is ill-conceived. If God created the universe and the laws that govern it, And if he endowed human beings with intellectual abilities to discern its workings, would God want us to disregard those abilities? Would God be diminished or threatened by what we are discovering about his creation? And third, I think it's important that we embrace the tension that has us pursue faith and knowledge Can science and the Bible coexist? Yes. We need them both. If you become sick and have to go to the hospital, you want to know that your medical staff are well-versed in physiological and anatomical sciences. And if you want someone to come pray with you, you want to know that they have a different kind of knowledge, a spiritual faith knowledge. Both are important to us. And yet, sometimes what happens, the problem that occurs, is that we focus on one to the detriment of the other, or we ignore one. In today's scripture passage, in Genesis 1, verse 2, it says that the Spirit of God was moving on the face of the waters. Now, when I was young, I really honed in on that word that God moved or was moving over the face of the waters. Some of your translations may say hovering over the waters. And I couldn't wrap my head around that. For years, I kept wondering, and I went between a sense that maybe God walked on the face of the waters, like Jesus at the Sea of Galilee, to something more like a hovercraft kind of movement over the face of the waters. Now, the problem was... That for all the method that I was trying to find in scripture, I was missing the meaning. In this passage of scripture, the original language is Hebrew. And the words that we translate to moving or hovering are a, a, a good attempt at best. But really, they don't capture the whole of the meaning. The Hebrew word that's used here is what a mother hen does over her chicks. When a mother hen uh, hovers or rests on her chicks, protecting them, keeping them warm, nurturing them, that's the word that is used here. A sense of God nurturing creation, bringing into being, loving, and and protecting us. Now, I love science. I love watching all kinds of, of documentaries on different subjects, but I can tell you, you can't beat the beauty of that imagery of God viewing creation as a mother hen taking care of her brood. That's incredible. That's powerful. It's why we need to explore science and embrace faith at the same time. Another book that's important in this discussion is the Adam Hamilton book, When Christians Get It Wrong. In it, he talks about the story of Scott Williamson. Scott had originally been from Kansas, but was now living in New York at the time, but he happened to attend a Christmas Eve service at Church of the Resurrection, where Adam Hamilton is senior pastor. He had come with his wife and her parents, but he himself was atheist. Scott was a young scientist working at Cornell University in the field of population genetics. And in 2007, his research uh, was listed as one of the top 100 discoveries in science in that year. He produced a paper that talked about evolutionary changes in the human genome. Incredible leading scientist in our country. And he happened to be at this Christmas Eve service, and he was intrigued to find out that Adam was going to do a sermon series entitled When Science Meets Religion. He went back to Cornell, but he started watching all of these sermons online, and he started corresponding with Adam, back and forth asking him questions of faith, questions about God. And finally, he sent this email. Dear Reverend Adam, I wanted to write to let you know that thanks to you and my wife, I now believe in God. I've been a lifelong atheist, but your sermon about the God of pure energy convinced me that as a scientist and a thinking person, the existence of God is possible. I really liked your story about your girls playing and trusting in you to jump on your back and how you, your love for them was like God's love for us. I wanted to be a believer in that way, but was still uncertain. Last year, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor that is inoperable. And what finally convinced me of the love of God was my wife. I felt God's love through her, and I came to see her as a gift from God. Here's a leading scientist who all those years had believed that there was no way to combine science and faith. And yet, when he started listening to the sermons, he was glad to hear that the church was not trying to condemn science, but rather embrace it. And it opened up a new discovery for him. From that point till the end of his life, he continued to correspond with Adam Hamilton, wanting to know all that he could about God and about faith. I want to read to you from that book what Adam said about him. Scott was doing very important work at Cornell in the area of biology, making discoveries that answered the how and what questions. But he began to long for more. He wanted to know the why and for what purpose. He wanted to know if there was a God who really did know and love him. He wanted to know if he would continue to live after his physical body succumbed to cancer. These were not questions that science could answer. As Scott's physical illness progressed, we talked about the resurrection of Jesus and the hope of the biblical authors that this world is not all there is to existence. Scott would pass away at the age of just 32 years old. Before he passed away, he got two compasses for his two young daughters. And on the back, he had these words engraved, I will be with you whenever wherever, forever. And before he passed away, he made sure to tell his wife, I will love you forever. Now, he was able to say those kind of words about eternal life, not because of his scientific research, but because he embraced the faith, because he started researching into the meaning and purpose of life in a relationship with God. He was able to find meaning in the life eternal, as well as all of the uh, discoveries that he had left here on earth. He made a difference in his family as well. For any of us, we can embrace science and the Bible and know that they should coexist together. And when we study both of them, we discover more about the God of all creation. It's in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayers.